Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. David Lurini is always busy. Starting as a dialect coach for cast members in a variety of projects, Fargo included, he also became a cast member of the Emmy Award-winning series Fargo by way of serving them as a dialect coach for a season. About uh, 17 years ago, I was sitting around one of those in-between times wondering, what other things can I do to make some money here? And I thought, I've always been pretty good at dialects, and I'm pretty methodical and analytical, so what if I just hung my shingle out as a dialect coach? Maybe I could pick up some extra cash. Monetizing your creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? I was on the uh, receiving end of some bullying from a director and, uh, uh, and, and a couple of people who I looked up to told me I wasn't good enough. And fortunately for me, I recovered from that and didn't really listen to them and went ahead anyway. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me from Vancouver, Canada, is your co-host, Fred Keating. Fred is in Vancouver, as I said, while I'm in Edmonton, Canada. And why am I in Edmonton? Because Edmonton, in fact, all of Alberta, Calgary included, and, and many parts around the region, are just a hotbed of film and television production, including such landmark shows as Fargo. Not everybody knows that that's shot here. And Fred, that's actually one of the topics of our discussion today. In fact, Fred, tell us who our guest is. Marvin, our guest is my good friend David Lorini. David Lorini is a 10-course media meal. And by that I mean he's an actor on stage and screen, a dialect coach, a teacher, and a rather iconic fixture in Western Canadian media circles, who's now come to the attention over the last few years of American producers and directors as well. David Lurini is always busy. Starting as a dialect coach for cast members in a variety of projects, Fargo included, he also became a cast member of the Emmy Award-winning series Fargo by way of serving them as a dialect coach for a season. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Totally my pleasure. And Fred, in fact, that's why I'm here in Edmonton, because he's such a fantastic coach. He's actually doing a seminar here today on behalf of ACTRA, and he's teaching people all about dialects. Fred, tell our listeners what ACTRA is. Well, ACTRA is the Association of Canadian Television, Film, and Radio, really. That's how it began. It's like SAG or AFTRA in the States. But in Canada, ACTRA looks after the welfare of performers in cinema, television, and radio, making sure that uh, they're treated fairly, that they are compensated fairly, and that a number of structures that might not otherwise exist, such as retirement plans, are put into place for them, and insurance as well, I should mention. So there's a lot of great things that a professional association can do for people in the performing arts, and I'm sure David is quite familiar with those as well. Great. Well, thanks for that summary, Fred. Now, shall we start this interrogation with David? Do you want to go first? I'm just curious to see what dialect he's going to come out with, and I'm sure it's going to change depending on what the question is, Marvin. (laughs) Well, I think we should start with Minnesota and North Dakota and South Dakota. Let's talk about Fargo. Tell us about what you do for Fargo. 
Well, I'm the onset uh, dialect coach, and I also prepare the actors when they sign on. I get their deal memos, and, uh, and then I get in contact with them. I send them files, notes, uh, audio files of uh, real Minnesotans speaking, and, and then we start Skyping together, and I get them up to speed before they uh, arrive in Calgary, and sometimes the local Calgary actors who get uh, hired, and any actors from across Canada who show up on the show. And then when they arrive, I start working with them in person, either at their hotels or I knock on their trailer door and bug them in the morning and say, can I hear your dialogue and make sure that they're uh, right on the spot. Now, how important is it to the producers and the directors of the show that the talent have the dialect just spot on? It's a huge part of the Fargo experience, the Fargo world. I mean, everybody needs to hear that. Oh, yeah, you betcha thing. And the producers of Fargo have asked me to tone it down from the movie. It's, uh, the movie was quite strong. Quite, it's quite a comedic dialogue, a dialect. There's a real dark world to Fargo, even the movie, and even more so, I think, with the TV series. And they didn't want to undermine the drama with the comedic dialect. But So they asked me to kind of turn it down by about half. But the dialect is very important to them, and it's very important to them that the actors get it right. Now, as I was listening in on the seminar here in the room, I was really struck about how difficult this really is. Some of the people here were kind Kind of skewing more towards Irish, for instance. Yes, it's that's. What, <laughs> there, there are two uh, usual uh, divergences that the people have taken. That's either Southern, and they start talking like a, you know, getting down into the the country and Western thing, or they start going and because there's a, there's music to it, so they start everything. Everybody starts going up at the end of sentences. And uh, my admonition to them is, if you start singing it, stop and start thinking about what you're saying, say it the way you would say it, and then ignore the music of it. Don't uh, play the music, play your intentions, play your meaning. Now when the producers are casting for the show, are they actually considering the ability of the actors to be able to pull off dialects? I think that has a, a lot to do with it. I think if they really like an actor and they think they're fairly close to the dialect, but maybe not quite spot on, they trust me that when the actor gets to set or before they get to set that I'll be able to whip them into shape and make sure that they're on the right track. David, it was the film Fargo that brought attention to this particular regional dialect, but for the few people who may be listening who are unfamiliar with the film but are very familiar with American cinema and what we would have called, I guess, a Midwestern standard American dialect, can you give us just some examples in terms of the vowel sounds or the melody in a particular phrase that would place us directly in that Minnesota region. It's very similar to standard or uh, you know non-regional and formal uh, American speech, but there are certain sounds that are much stronger. They, there's a hard R, so they would say forever, never. The ow sound, curiously enough, is very much more Canadian sounding than anything else in American, so they say house and about, uh, but out in the houses, uh, out in the houses, they open up the vowels. It's a the the regional part of it is a word like pos- possible becomes possible. Hot would be hot, got would be got. Oxygen, 
hospital, that kind of thing. It's a, f a reedy pronunciation, a, re a reedy tonality rather. The tone focus is kind of up in the head, not not so much in the nose, but it gets kind of. If you if you remember Bill Macy from uh, the movie, he's, he had a line like, Wade, have you had the chance to think about those 40 acres there? I was talking in Wayzata. So you kind of hear that flat, reedy quality. There's a whole spectrum of tonal focus on in that in the region, and it differs from character to character. The heavier characters, you don't want them to go, you know, the tough guys and the bad guys in there. You don't want them to be speaking with a kind of a reedy, heady quality like that. It would undermine the the uh, the quality of their character. Now, I'm thinking, David, that you must be a really busy person because the actors who are playing the roles on the, the show Fargo are coming from all over the United States. They might be coming from other parts of the world. And there there's certain accents and there's certain dialects that people just learn, like the Southern American accent. Maybe they can pull off a, a British accent or at least some regions of Britain. But this kind of accent from Minnesota, North Dakota, that's a little bit unusual. So you're pretty busy. I am. I last year I had an Australian. I had a French Canadian. <laughs> I found that the people from uh, Indiana, Chicago, they were the ones who slipped into it much more easily. There are a lot of similarities between that region and Minnesota. A couple of leads, they were from Texas. Uh, that was a, and but even they were speaking in a more standard American style before they came. So yeah, I would say Canadians are ha have trouble with it. They slip into Irish or they start to go Southern with it. And it, it was more of a challenge for most of the Canadians that I worked with. In fact, tell us the difference between dialects and accents, David. Ah, I always bring that up when I'm teaching general accent work. Dialect is a variation from region to region within one language. So I'm speaking with a Canadian dialect. If I was going over to Britain, people would be speaking in a London Cockney dialect. Or if I, if I was from Quebec, speaking French in the Quebec style, and I went to France... I would have a Quebec dialect, but when a person from Quebec speaks to me in an English accent, uh, English, they are speaking with a French accent. Well said. In fact, I spent a lot of time in New York, and the Americans can pick me out as a Canadian, and I'm thinking, what do you mean? I'm just speaking normally. Exactly. We, there, are, there are particular sounds, like, or particularly the ow sound, house out. About. We also speak uh, more clearly and correctly than uh, most Americans. Americans have a much more relaxed, lax attitude towards the language. And they throw things away. Not, not, they're, not so, they're not so much with the consonants like interested becomes interested. Right. So part of the moral of the story is that if you are a Canadian and you want to work in the American acting market, you really need to learn how to speak like an American. It's been my bread and butter, to be honest with you. I, I teach uh, standard, what I call now modern, informal, non-regional, beautiful American speech. Americans approach the written word, the dialogue on the page, completely differently from Canadians. Uh, for instance, just a simple story that I went to a, a cast reading, and I had an American actor sitting beside me, and his next line was, I don't know. It was one of my first big reads with an American cast, and uh, he got to his line, and he went, oh, man, I, I don't, I, I, I just, I, I don't know. And I went, well, I think I've got the wrong script, because mine says, I don't know. Oh, as I leaned over and looked at his, I went, that's the game these Americans play. The, the words on the page are a roadmap to the intention. They move away from it. A phrase like, I've had about enough of that. American will say, I've had about enough of that.
Now, do some countries actually have more regional dialects than others? I get the sense that Canada doesn't have many regional dialects. Of course, the Maritimes would be an example of, of, of a strong regional dialect. But it seems to me that some countries like the United States and Great Britain have many regional dialects. Surprisingly, uh, a number of years ago, an actor named David Ferry was on... Uh, I don't know if you remember the old radio show, Summer, Summerside, uh, uh, Peter Zosky. Anyway, he would do a thing every week, and he would go from region to region to region. And he ended up making a CD of it, and it's called Canadian, eh? There are 32 different dialect samples on that of different people across the country, and I think there are a whole bunch more. But when you think about French-Canadian, you think about ver the various, there's a, there's a probably 20 in Newfoundland alone. The Cape Breton dialect is different from the Yarmouth dialect in Nova Scotia. So if you listen carefully, they are quite, quite different. I've been picked out as a Vancouver. Uh, I was raised near Vancouver, and I've gone in to do voiceover work, and the engineer will say, you have a West Coast sound. And I've been told that I have a prairie sound. <laughs> Who knew? I spent a year as a bit of a wandering minstrel in England doing shows with my little auto harp from town to town and was, of course, amazed how a town six to eight miles away, uh, in fact, spoke differently than the village I'd just left. And when I fell into traveling with a couple of English folks and we went from town to town, I found it easier to interpret the local dialect for them than they had. And I finally figured out it was because, as an outsider, I was way more aware of the commonality amongst the dialects that we were moving through whereas my companions, being from England, were way more concerned with or aware of the differences in those dialects. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, and, and, and your ear is probably because you hadn't heard a lot of them before. And you also, being an actor and dealing with uh, language all the time and, and speech, you were probably more tuned to it. And also, it was new to you, so it was probably very exciting. So you were listening more carefully than they would have. I'll take that. Now, in addition to being an actor and a dialect coach, you've also taught at the University of Calgary. You've started companies. You've directed, and you're quite well known as a voiceover artist as well. So you have managed to cobble together a variety of special skills so that, in fact, you're rarely out of work. You've cultivated a presence that is almost chameleon-like in that you can adjust and take part in a variety of media activities in a way that keeps you gainfully employed and making quite a decent living doing what you love. Yeah, I like that phrase, cobbled together. I think that uh, <laughs> you, we do what we have to to put bread on the table and uh, pay the bills. I look at everything as an adventure, and uh, you know, when you see there's uh, voiceover opportunities, you go, oh, I'd like to get into that. So you throw your line out for that. And uh, about uh, 17 years ago, I was sitting around one of those in-between times wondering, what other things can I do to make some money here? And I thought, I've always been pretty good at dialects, and I'm pretty methodical and analytical. So what if I just hung my shingle out as a dialect coach? Maybe I could pick up some extra cash. Well, here I am 17 years later, and uh, it's actually my acting career has taken a back seat to my dialect coaching career. I, the bulk of my income now comes from dialect coaching, and it's turned out to be a, a much bigger part of my life than I ever thought possible. Best business decision I ever made, as a matter of fact. I think it probably took only a couple of months before I landed my first big gig. A, a local producer who knew about my acting and knew that I could do dialects, when I sent my letters around saying, I am a dialect coach and this is how I work and this is how I would approach it, she, uh, this producer got back to me and she said, we're doing this American series 
called Caitlin's Way, and uh, the producers from Nickelodeon are very concerned that if we hire a bunch of Canadian kids to be in this show, that they can't sound American. She said, can you can you help us with that? And I said, absolutely. So I spent several months on that set, really cutting my teeth as an on-set dialect coach. And because I'm an actor, I've never had any formal training as a dialect coach. I'm completely self-taught, really. I've had one, I, we had a teacher at the University of uh, Alberta who was a good demonstrator, but he didn't actually give us the tools to analyze and deconstruct the dialect and take it apart and grasp the intricacies of a, of a dialect. And I, being the methodical analytical type, and a perfectionist that I am, I said, okay, I, if I'm going to do dialects, I'm going to do them right, and I'm going to do them well. So when I decided to be a dialect coach, I wrote it all out. I've got all kinds of books and tapes and just about any resource material that's available to an actor for dialect coaching, I have now have in my library. I present a very methodical approach to anybody who's attempting to do a dialect. And also, because I'm an actor, I speak in an actorly manner. I, I, I don't talk. I'm not a, I'm not a um, uh, linguist, and I don't speak in those kind of terms. I know how actors think. I know how, actor, how actors talk. I know how to stay out of the way on a set. I know when it's, I've said enough, and I know that the actor has to now forget about the sounds that are coming out their mouth and start engaging with their partners in their uh, scenes. And uh, I usually have a, I tell actors, uh, look, I'm going to give you a signal. You just put your hand up if I'm giving you too much. And if I need to get out of your face, I'll back away because what's happening between you and your scene partner and in the scene and the emotion and the reality of the scene is way more important than the words that are coming out or the sounds that are coming out of your mouth. Well, David, this is absolutely fascinating. And Fred, we're just about up on time, so is there anything that needs to be said in summary? I'd like to ask David to give some personal advice about getting along or getting ahead in this game we call the media industry. I've been listening to a number of your podcasts, and, and uh, I knew this question would probably come up. What I always say, and I said to my children, and I told myself uh, in my 20s, find something you love to do and figure out a way to get paid for it. You'll never work a day in your life. That's the adage that I live by. <laughs> and also I discovered uh, because I was on the uh, receiving end of some bullying from a director and, uh, and a couple of people who I looked up to told me I wasn't good enough. And fortunately for me, I recovered from that and didn't really listen to them and went ahead anyway and believed in myself and said, okay, well, maybe I'm not good enough right now, but I'm going to be good enough and I'm going to keep working at it until I'm good enough. And I think there were nine uh, fellow actors in my acting class and there's only a, two or three of us left doing it. And it's just persistence. It really just comes down to uh, having a thick skin with a soft center under that shell and just persisting and keep working at it, keep trying to get better and uh, believing in yourself. Go for it. Wow. These are great words to end on. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you so much for inviting me here to your seminar and letting me uh, catch a little bit of this. This is, this is fantastic. So take her easy, hey? You betcha. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity. <laughs>